That's you guys. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, with that, let's uh, go into time of the word. Um, we're going to go back to the book of Ephesians. Um, we're back in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So today we'll be um, in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So I'll be reading the, the passage for us, and I'll pray, and we'll go right into the, the message portion. So Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say, testifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is God's word. Uh, please bow your hands with me, and I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we um, come before you, really longing to hear from you, God. If you are in this place, if you are the powerful God that we know, your word is also very powerful. In fact, living and active, able to uh, you know, assess us, examine us, change us. So may the power of your spirit be present during this time, God. God, you know uh, each one of our journeys that are represented in this room, as well as through the live stream, I pray that you touch each one of our hearts in different ways uh, so that as a church we can uh, grow uh, to, uh, into Christ as we learned uh, last time we studied this book. Yeah. So thank you for this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for today's message uh, is called Living Out the Identity in Christ and three points uh, that all have to do with identity. You'll see why. The first point will be the privileged identity, second former identity, and the, new, uh, the third point will be the new identity. So let's go together into the first point, the privileged identity. Verse 17, Paul says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There the word now, I uh, just want to uh, tell you that in Greek it's uh, more so therefore. I think that's how the, the word is translated oftentimes, but I think uh, for various reasons, ESP stuck with uh, now. 
But the word therefore means that Paul is drawing a conclusion in this passage out of the previous passage. So we look at the previous passage, which was about Paul talking about the church. It's been, I guess, a few weeks, but if you remember, it was about how the Ephesians are now members of the church, the new humanity, uh, if you will, and they are to grow in their Christ-like character as members of the church, and through that, the whole church grow together corporately. So there, um, or rather now in this passage, on the one hand, Paul is uh, reminding them that they're privileged. They're you know, so privileged to be a part of this new humanity called church. But on the other, you know, by saying in the verse, you know, we read, you know, this I say uh, and testify in the Lord. That's a very solemn uh, tone there. So Paul is about to, you know, firmly command them, you know, on the one hand, privilege, but on the other, responsibility. He's going to, he's about to spell out the responsibility as abilities as church members uh, to the Ephesians. Um, But now, what I want us to focus on is the privilege aspect, uh, that Paul is trying to highlight this aspect for the Ephesians. And if you go down um, with that in mind, uh, there Paul says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, What's interesting about that uh, word choice, Gentiles, is that we saw in this book so far that the Ephesians are Gentiles, uh, you know, by their ethnicity and culture. So by uh, bringing up the, the, the word Gentiles, Paul is uh, kind of making a, um, you know, friction there, meaning that the Ephesians, you guys, you guys are Gentiles, you know, by, the, by your ethnicity and culture, but not anymore in terms of your spiritual identity. You know, the Gentiles, as we will see, are living in their sins, but you guys, Ephesians, you have different identity now. You know, your identity is, again, the privileged people of God. That's who you are. So, what Paul is doing is this. So again, he's about to give us or give them commands to do and you know not to do. But before that, Paul is laying out the foundation and the background by saying, you guys are privileged. Uh, meaning, you know, unlike all the other religions in the world, Christianity is not about just you know telling you what to do in order to feel better about yourselves or even to get acceptance from God. It's not about that. It's the opposite. Just like Paul does, it's about what God does to bring you up into this you know, given status that you didn't earn. And from that security of the status, now God is telling you what to do, to live as qualified <clears throat> people of God. You see the, I try to remember to bring water this time, but forgot again. So sorry about that. A lot of noise here, but 
Christianity is all about first getting from God, you know, who we are, and do, um, you know, out of that status, do and don't do things. Whereas all the other religions in the world is about doing and not doing and somehow get acceptance from God or other people. There's a big difference there. Um, if you go to the next slide, um, I don't know if you know of this movie. Uh, it's called The Princess Diaries. How many of you know this movie? Okay, all right. It's a classic, I think. Um, just so that you know, everybody knows what this movie is about. Uh, it's a movie uh, that is about this, um, if I can call her, like a loser teenage girl. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, average teenage girl named Mia, you know, who's not very confident about herself, and uh, she gets easily picked on by you know her friends and you know people around her. Uh, but then it turns out that you know her late father was a prince, uh, like part of a royal family of this small kingdom in Europe. And his mother, so the queen, now is seeking Mia in America so that, you know, Mia can inherit the kingdom someday, you know, after the queen dies. So all of a sudden, Mia is a princess. And uh, so there's a scene, I think uh, this picture is from this scene, where, uh, you know, they're doing like a complete makeover on, on this girl. So there's like a before picture and like after picture. And it's kind of shallow about the looks and stuff, but... The point is that, you know, um, oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Oh, body of Christ. Thank you. Yeah. So there's a complete makeover there, right? And uh, so basically the queen and the whole kingdom is just showering on her uh, all the things that uh, would qualifier as a princess and in, in the in the scene like there's a turning up the chair scene and then you know like voila there's a princess you know like from the average girl that she was before and then the rest of the movie is about Mia not having to learn how to act and live like a princess and that's a struggle that's you know, part of the plot but that's her responsibility now. Her new identity calls for a change in how she lives. Just like that, the Bible says that God found, if I can call us, nobodies, uh, but God found us in the world and did a complete makeover on us. He found us and he showered us with the salvation and all the benefits, all the blessings in heaven. That's what we've been learning in Ephesians. And now that we are part of this privileged people of God, God is saying, now live like it, act like it. I've given everything for you. Now your job as a accepted, privileged people of God, live for me. Live the right, good lives in this world. Again, that order is so important. It, the indicative always comes before imperative. That's Christianity. So identity, the privileged identity is 
the basis for command. And second, the former identity. So now, with that you know, settled down uh, with, about the identity, like who they are, now Paul will go, go on to spell out you know, what they must do, what they you know, uh, must change from in order to live out their new identity as God's people. Uh, so for that, Paul's going to actually talk about how the Gentiles uh, live the sinful lives, that is. Verse 18, it says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You know, notice there that Paul is drawing our attention to um, the, the inner life, inner realities, as opposed to, you know, what's outside, meaning you know, the words like understanding and heart, those are what's inside, right? Uh, the great theologian named Jonathan Edwards, uh, he wrote this book called The Freedom of the Will. In that book, he says, it's always the mind that dictates the will and action. The mind, the heart what you desire is the engine behind all that you do and all the choices that you make. And that's what Paul is getting at here. You know, people's conducts and lifestyles stem from what's in their hearts, their desire, again. And Paul is saying the Gentile sinners, you know, have hardness of heart and a darkened mind, uh, meaning, again, sinful desires that are opposed to God uh, and they seek other things other than God. And that's why it says they're separated from the life of God. And Paul keep going, keeps going from in, in that line of thinking. Verse 19, it says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I need you to notice the progression there. So again, it started from the hard heart, darkened mind that led to the ignorance of God. And then we see here that it makes their hearts callous. They cannot feel anything anymore. And then in the end, they give themselves up to all kinds of you know, uh, sinful activities. And at that point, that means they're out of control. They're slaves to their desires, they cannot control themselves anymore. And that's the progression. Uh, and in the end, uh, in, in that path of sin, there will be destruction, uh, not just by God, but by themselves because of what they do. Uh, and in the verse, again, we're seeing that the root cause is the heart. So to summarize those two verses, sinners, apart from God, you know, will... Uh, you know, from their selfish desires and hearts, you know, crave more and more and more of sin, and they will be drifting away more and more away from God. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's the, the lifestyle of the Gentiles. Um, you know, I found this story, or rather a research, uh, in this uh, devotional book that I like to read. Um, it goes like this. In the mid-1960s, uh, two people 
uh, participated in a research on the effects of darkness on the human psyche. And they entered, these two people entered separate caves uh, and the, the researchers tracked their eating and you know, sleeping habits. And one of them remained in total darkness for 88 days and the, the other person uh, remained for 126 days. And afterwards, you know, each you know, like try to recount how they felt and all of that. And, and they uh, totally guessed how many days they, they were in the cave, five months. And one of them apparently uh, one time thought that he was taking a short nap only to find out later that he actually had slept for 30 hours. Uh, what that means, the, the, I think the purpose and the result of this study is to show that darkness can be disorienting. You know, we as humans, uh, you know, we may take the daylights for granted, but I think once we're in the darkness, we are desensitized about the reality and we just live like animals, basically, not really having the senses that are uh, readed and we do not think straight and we do not feel the right feelings. And there's a good illustration of what Paul is saying here, that when our minds and hearts in the dark, Paul is saying that we seek more and more of things that we shouldn't be seeking, and we you know, drift away, you know, further and further away from the one we should be seeking, namely God. Darkness is disorienting, and it kills us eventually. Along that line, uh, Look with me, uh, this picture that I found, uh, more of a post that one of my friends posted on Facebook. Um, and if you can read what it's saying there, it's basically talking about, you know, fourth generation uh, trend, I guess. So let me just read for us you know, what, what that's saying. So first tier, first, I guess, first generation, it says, parents don't make church a priority high priority for their kids, and that the second generation, kids grow up, make it less of a priority for their lives, for their kids, and then third generation, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids, and then lastly, those kids grow up with no concept of God, uh, and on and on. And I know Deb and I are the only parents in our church at the moment, but you get what I'm trying to say here through this post, that, you know, the, the shift the drift away from God may happen very slowly, even through perhaps, I don't know, I don't know how many decades those four generations might be. Uh, but the drift still happens. Again, slowly, but surely. As you choose small steps away from God, that's what sin does. Little by little, we drift away. And by we get to the fourth generation, we may not know God. Again, that's what Paul is saying. Gentiles, as they choose those little steps towards sin, in the end, they are separated and severed from God. That all comes from sin in our hearts. That's the, the root cause. The question I want to ask us is this. You know, how should we think about this? You know, so we just saw what the sin does, right? But what does that mean to us? Um, you know, I, I think perhaps you're joining us as, you know, maybe a mature believer or maybe you're joining us as uh, people who 
want to get to know more of Christianity, um, and, and you are not yet. But wherever you are, I want us to ask this question to ourselves. The question is, do we take our sins seriously, even own up to our sins to the degree that we genuinely repent? Again, do we own up? Do we take responsibility for our sins in our hearts that we just looked at to be serious? Um, you know, one thing that's been bothering me recently is this. Uh, I, I saw, I've been noticing this social trend in our culture where, you know, people who have done wrong, you know, they do apologize. Uh, but at the same time, I notice that they tend to use things like mental health as a subtle excuse. And more recently, you know, I'm thinking perhaps about this actor, you know, James Franco, um, you know, who acknowledged that he, you know, sexually harassed women. Uh, but then, you know, at the end of that segment or confession, he added that he's been receiving therapy for, you know, sex addiction. And then there are other celebrities, uh, you know, who, after doing some bad things, again, they do apologize. But then they talk about, you know, therapies and things that they're getting, getting you know, uh, treatment for, like childhood trauma and even abuse. Uh, as possible causes of their wrongdoing. And please not get me wrong. You know, mental health is real, and appropriate therapy is necessary and crucial. No question about that. But when mental illness is used to explain away full responsibility for wrongdoing, is wrong. It's like them saying, you know, I know I'm at fault, but I'm not totally to blame. I have these excuses. You know, what's interesting about this, you know, blame shifting pattern is not new. It's actually, you know, prevalent throughout human history. How do I know that? Oh, history, of course, but it goes all the way to the first human being, Adam. I mean, do you remember the first word you know, that Adam said after he sinned and he was found out? What was his first words? It's the woman that you gave me. Like right there, it's like double blame shifting right there, right? Not only is she you know, blame shifting to his wife that he should be cherishing and protecting, He's also blaming God for creating the helper that he rejoiced over uh, not too many verses before. And from there on, all throughout history, even now, we see this pattern over and over. The question is, why not own up to your wrong? Why do you have to blame shift and hurt your wife and friend and even God. Again, the question, do I, do you, do, do we own up to our sins in our lives and repent? 
Uh, and I don't want to make a disclaimer just so there's no misunderstanding. I'm not saying that, you know, we should always, you know, blame ourselves and repent. Because, you know, sometimes we may truly be victims, right? You know, other people may have, you know, wronged you. And, and so it is them that need to be repenting and, you know, blame, sh- blame shaming, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, victim shaming is, you know, heinous. It's, it's not right. It's wrong. And the Bible says if you are the wrong party, you know, your job is not repentance, but to, you know, by God's grace, grow in healing and forgiveness and reconciliation even, uh, while, you know, seeking justice, you know, appropriate means. So what I'm saying is that um, you know, not all the time is our job to repent, but do we own up to the wrongs that are clear to us, that requires us to examine our hearts and really honestly own up to them and take full responsibility and repent as opposed to it's, it's that fault, their fault, or my past fault. Because if we do that, the Bible's, the Paul is saying here is that we are going to be in the path of destruction. Again, slowly, perhaps, four generations, perhaps, but it will happen. But if we do own up, if we do discern our sins, then the Bible promises that there will be true healing and joy, even. Do we take our sins seriously? The former identity, that's the past. And now thirdly, the new identity. So now Paul will remind us again of what identity that we have now because of God's grace. And he will show us why in light of that identity we must be fighting our sins. Verse 20, it says, very emphatic there, right? He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. That's not who you are. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul's reminding the Ephesians that they indeed heard the gospel and they believed in it and they learned who Jesus is and they learned how they are to live as Christ followers. Again, he's saying, that's who you are. The Gentile life, that's not who you are. This is who you are. Don't forget that. And then he goes on, the rest of the verses, the specific lessons that he wants to remember. And what that means is we should remember this too. It's very important. Verse 22, it says, that that they, they, they learned to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What that means is when they put their faith in Christ, they put off like a garment, they put off their sinful self, their sinful personhood. I think uh, it'll be easier to understand this if we bring in the concept of union with Christ. The Bible says when you have faith in Christ, what happens at the conversion is that when Jesus died on the cross, it's not just his death, 
you are united with him in, his, in the destiny so that when he died on the cross, your old self died with him. It's, it's, it's done. That past is done. No more of the old man, as he calls it. That's not part of your identity anymore. And then we jump to verse 24. It says, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Not only do we die with Jesus, but we also rise again with him. Just as he rose again from the dead, physically, we spiritually rise again and have new nature in us that has the quality characteristics of righteousness and holiness. And then verse 23, it says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now that you know you are, you have new life, the rest of your life, you live to change, to become more like Christ, renewed day by day, so that in the end, you'll be perfect. And, and that's the, the concepts and doctrines that we've been learning in this book, right? Justification. You know, we are covered with Jesus, and we have new nature now, and that's who we are right now, just as you know, you get the verdict in a you know court. That's the verdict. God says you are free from condemnation. But for the rest of our lives, we try to become, we grow to become what we already are. That's sanctification. And Paul's saying, again, that's your identity. You've been made new so that you can live a new life. In your identity, you cannot. You must not live like the Gentiles. It doesn't fit you. Again, remember the Princess Diaries. It doesn't fit her to act like so and so. For us, we've been privileged to be part of God's kingdom, and we cannot, we must not live like the worldly people. Not because we judge them and they're inferior to us, but no, this is our identity. We live differently now. And Paul is saying that therefore, as you try to live like God's people, fight your sins that are remaining. They will be gone in heaven, but for now you're called to fight. Corey Ten Boom, um, I think there's a picture for that, uh, for her. You know, she's a Holocaust survivor. Uh, her books are just so moving. You know, she talks about all the tortures that she went through. Uh, by the way, you know, she's not a Jew, but she uh, was a Dutch woman whose father um, tried to save the, the Jewish people from Nazi. That's why they were imprisoned, and her older sister died in the prison camp, and she survived. And just really moving books, and it's really, you know, really faithful woman of God, traveling all around the world, you know, sharing about what Christ has done for her. And she's, she's dead now, but a very moving story. But in one of, the, one of her books called A Tramp for the Lord, uh, you know, she talks about her favorite mental picture of you know, what it means to be forgiven of God. And that picture, uh, if you go to the next slide, is um, God you know, throwing all your sins into a pond and that the sign says, no fishing allowed. In her mind, uh, by the way, that, um, 
picture, I believe, is from Micah 7.17 that says, you know, God will hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. It's a beautiful picture if you really imagine that. All our sins have been thrown into the depth of the sea. And there's a sign that says, no fishing allowed. What that means is, in, in her mind, once you become a Christian, you, you have crossed the line. And there's a sign that says, not, no going back, you have crossed the line. Again, just like no fishing allowed, you have crossed the line. That's your old identity. Now this is new. Do not go back. And that's what it means to be living out our new identity. Not going back. We live out. We keep living uh, like the people of God that have been redeemed. In closing, I want to share just a few words uh, in regards to how we live like this daily, perhaps. Uh, you know, centuries ago, uh, Puritans uh, would say, I think this next slide, um, they said, take 10 looks to Christ for every look um, you take to uh, your inner spiritual condition. It says, take 10 looks to Christ as you um, take a few looks to yourself and your, your sins. And what that means, you know, there is, it is imperative for us to examine our hearts. Again, take our sins seriously and own up to our sins and faults. It's important. But the gospel way to fight our sins is as you look at the grossness of sins, and if you really do it right, if you really take responsibility, you'll be in pain, right? You, 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 you messed up. You hurt God, you hurt other people, you hurt yourself. It'll be painful. But they're saying, as you wrestle, look to Christ. And you will see your identity. That on the cross, you've been you know, crucified with them. And that's your old identity. And now, you see the resurrected Christ, and you're living with him. God says, oh, no, you're good. I love you. Even through your, your failures, I still love you. That's your identity. You're my son and daughter. That's what it means to look at Christ ten times as you battle your sins. And then lastly, as you do that, I'm sure, you know, as we, again, take these things seriously and walk in this path, there will be times when we'll be discouraged. Why? I mean, I've gone through that where I feel like, man, am I even Christian? I keep doing the same thing over and over. Am I even saved? That's where this verse comes in. Uh, verse uh, Romans 6, 11, it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. The key word there is consider. It's a beautiful word. Let me tell you why. When you're in the midst of, you know, discouragement and failure and despair, asking yourself, man, you know, do I even know God? God is saying, I need you to consider yourself to be having this identity. I want you to consider you to be my son and daughter. Another um, translation, is, it says, reckon. Same thing, consider. Consider yourself to be having this identity. 
meaning have faith that you are of God when you are in that mold where you're condemning yourself. Tell yourself, preach to yourself, God, help me to believe, help me to consider myself to be having all these realities of salvation. And as you do that, from my experience, God works. He gives me faith that I didn't have before. And that's how you keep going in this journey until God says, come home. You've been weary in this journey. I'll take off all your burdens off of you. Enjoy heaven with me. Sanctification, that's how it works. We battle sins, but we do it with God by his strength. And that's how we live our identity. As people of God, that's who we are. Let's pray together. Spend some time in silent prayers. I think we are living in a time where many people, if not all, are confused about who they are. And maybe some of us, if not all of us, struggle with that. You know, who are we? And when we lose the grip of who we are, our identity, you know, there comes loss of purpose. There comes complacency. You know, there comes just discouragement. It's when we know who we are. That's when we can, we can live. We're not just dead people walking, but we are living people when we know who we are. So let's pray right now. Um, Perhaps recite um, as you pray uh, in your mind who we are in Christ. I think that's really the whole book of the Ephesians is all about that we are redeemed, that God knew us even before we were born, and now He declares that we have every blessing in heaven in Christ. God is saying, you are so blessed. You you are so loved. Do you know that? David says in Psalm, um, even my father and my mother may forgive me, but God will never forgive me. So let's pray together, just asking God to help us to know and be convinced of our identity in Him. Then we can fight our sins and live like God's people. 
So that's the first step. Let's plead with God to remind us and stir up our hearts to believe who we are. Let's pray. Pray together. Um, I'll close for us in a moment, uh, but uh, just just like we uh, you know pray through this song just now, uh, let's continue to pray, uh, asking God to change us, uh, that we would um, cast ourselves into Him. Experience true freedom in Christ as He guides us, as He leads us, pulls us forward sometimes, and as He keeps our faith when our faith fails. We're in good hand. So let's ask God right now, just um, wherever you are in your journey with God. Uh, I believe that you are here in this room right now uh, and again, joining us uh, through live stream too. Wherever you are, I believe that um, God wanted to speak to you today, um, to your particular situations. Um, Nothing is accident. God loves you that much and He knows who you are and where you have been and where you will be. So let's give it to Him. Let's cast all our burdens onto Him right now to the one who wants to carry our burdens. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, humble ourselves before You. Uh, We are definitely not God. We're definitely not You. We acknowledge uh, all our weaknesses. So we acknowledge our sins, God. Uh, We repent not shivering before a punishing uh, dictator, but we are confessing our sins to a Father who runs to us when we come in repentance. God, we come before you um, in our human weaknesses too, other than our sins. Sometimes our journey is lonely. Our journey can be uh, just really um, painful at times. But thank you that um, you are always walking with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. That's your promise because our identity uh, is in Christ. So wherever we are right now, God, uh, please meet us where we are and pull us forward. Bring Bring our hearts back to you so we can love you above anything else and everything else in our lives. Only you remain. Everything else will perish. So God, help us to invest our lives well. But thank you for Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again as we celebrated last week. And because that is a fact and that never changes, 
That's our hope, God. We will always be preserved by Your sovereign hand. Thank you, Lord.